Welcome to Open Source Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, freshly rapid tested, and I passed, so oh. there you have it. Who who exposed you? Uh, no, I, I, I <laughs> woke up with some symptoms, So and but it turned out it was just winter hitting me in the face as it does every year, so... Mm-hmm. Probably just dust mites, but you never know. Can't test for those. Is there a t- There must be. Soon there'll be a test for everything. A single drop of something. <laughs> That's another story, I guess. <laughs> Are you sure it isn't the deep state that's putting dust mites out there? It's and- got to be something. <laughs> <laughs> Lack of a, of a duster, maybe putting the dust mites in Oh dear. Okay. Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the Ward 6 City Councillor Dominique O'Rourke, who is going to talk about last week's decision on the 2022 and 2023 budget, why she voted against it, and why budgeting gets even harder from here. That will be at the bottom half of the hour. And before that, we will talk about a lot of things. We'll talk about boycotting China. Canada has officially joined other allies by taking part in a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Games early next year. That will teach China, or will it? Uh, but first, and we are going to start this with a trigger warning because we are going to be talking about the topic of gender-based violence, of course, this week was the 32nd anniversary of what we, I guess, colloquially call the Montreal Massacre. I've just been trying to figure out what's the, well, for lack of a better term, PC name, because I, I don't... The uh, <clears throat> Ecole Polytechnique shooting, I think, is the exception. Yeah. I, I, yeah, because the Montreal Massacre is, yeah, it's it's old language for sure. Yeah. It just, uh, I don't... I don't. I wasn't sure about like the shooting part. Like you, you mentioned it's, it. It's yeah. Yeah, it's difficult to talk about the best times, let alone give it a, a title, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's more broadly known as the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it seems fitting to uh, talk about it in sort of the grander sense beyond the historical context. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about here, but I mean, I. To just like paint a picture of how much goes by without, you know, really remarking on it. Um, there's a woman named Jamie Cutts who um, is she went on vacation in Mexico with a girlfriend. Uh, they were confronted by somebody, a man who, you know, was, you know, trying to, I guess, hang out with them and. Uh, shall we say be friendly uh they rebuffed him he attacked them and um jamie ends up in the hospital with like a broken nose broken in several places Mm. and uh like a broken tooth cut off her eye she needed emergency surgery she's not able to come home until she gets the surgery and she's being kept uh confined to a hospital as they they watch over her make sure she's fit enough to travel um and i mean if that wasn't enough for this poor woman she was kind of internet famous earlier this year for filming a guy following her around downtown vancouver and she eventually like 
went to a skate park where um, some of the skate rats sort of helped her out and uh, kept her safe from this guy who seemed to be following her around downtown Vancouver. So like no, no bad words about the skate rats. They are heroes. The skate rats. Yeah. They are heroes. So um, yeah, just, you know, it, 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 you hear Jamie's story and it paints this like rather frightening picture of just how passive and how everyday gender-based violence can be that her and her friend are just out having a good time in Mexico and somebody like wrecks her face because they don't want to hang out with him. It's, it's truly frightening. (laughs) Absolutely. And a a global problem for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, come to think of it, like when you mentioned that the times that I've been uh, traveling, uh, particularly backpacking the stories. uh, Oh man. Like every time I went somewhere, there would, there would be, something not necessarily that but along those lines um Mm. yeah this this heavy topic for sure and uh, you know kind of bringing it back to canada and i didn't know this that on on the average uh for a woman or girl is killed in canada Mm. every two and a half days Mm -hmm. and in 2020 that number was 160 women that's um in addition to the people as you mentioned abused or uh, assaulted um human traffic i mean it's 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 just so extensive this we could probably spend a, a whole hour or a good part of it talking about just this 90 percent of uh the killers were male mm-hmm. half the people were the partners of the person that was killed and one third family members mm-hmm. uh, and we hear these stories too often um as well but um and in addition to that, too, and this this is where the, the things kind of intersect. And I didn't know this. Twenty uh, percent. It's a disproportionate number of, of Indigenous uh, women. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of speaking to the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, twenty percent. So mm-hmm. there's a the, considering the percentage of, of Indigenous people in Canada, that number is is massive. Is so so disproportionate, and you know, extending out of of 1989, which was the you know, wasn't obviously the point where this started, but it was the point where that the you sort of drew a line and things started to change that point, even just in terms of, of language and our approach and the ability even to talk about violence against women. It, it sometimes takes, or a lot of times takes something extreme uh, like Lapine mm-hmm. uh, for something like this to, to that we end up talking about it every, every year. And it's, it's never good. Like it's never, you would think within that time that something would have changed and there. And, but it, it hasn't really. And it, it's in this COVID era too. Uh, it sounds like the numbers and the stats, I guess I won't rhyme off a bunch of statistics, but the numbers are getting worse mm-hmm. um, because of situations where uh, say somebody's in a relationship where they want to get out or, um, somebody who is a, a controlling person will amp up that control over a person just due to the circumstances that we live under these days. Uh, so it's it's if anything, COVID has has compounded not completely. Um, it's not the exclusive reason, but it has not helped the situation in Canada at all. And and I would extend that to the world. Right and. Uh, I I can't remember where I saw the story. I think it was CBC. Actually, I know it was CBC because I made the note here. It was CBC. So um, they, they, did, they did a story about a, one of these December 6th vigils in Renfrew, Ontario, which is about 100 kilometers from Ottawa. 
it's kind of really rural. It's, you know, kind of, you know, middle of nowhere. Uh, they've had 23 women killed since the 1970s wow. because they gave out 23. I think they gave out 23 yellow roses um, during the commemoration. The last woman was killed in November. And it sounds like they don't have any, they haven't released any hard details. The, the police in the area, but it does sound like a murder suicide where the male partner killed uh, the woman and killed him, uh, killed himself. Um and it's a lot of it is of course being tied to um this 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 statistic of um between january 2015 and june 2021 in four cases of intimate partner violence was in rural remote or northern areas so when you talk about how it's kind of gotten worse under the pandemic well that makes sense because the more remote you are the more isolated you are um the greater the chance you have of being the victim of gender-based violence. And this is on top of, um, there was a piece on the, the conversation from Dr. Myrna um, Dawson, who is um, at the sociology department of the U of G mm-hmm. um, basically saying, you know, it, a lot of this has to do too with perceptions of what this violence is that um, oftentimes it's characterized as quote unquote crimes of passion. Like it's all in the sudden there was this violence and someone is killed and we need to sort of, you know, shake off these notions because there mm-hmm. usually is no crime of passion. There is no sudden violence. This is usually an escalation more often than not. It is an escalation. So there's um, an onus on us in the media to, to properly contextualize these things. It's very rare that one day some man decides he's going to beat his partner and, or, and or kill her or beat her to the point of killing her or go over the line. It's not something that, oops, it just happened. Somebody pushed somebody too hard and they fell backwards and hit the back of their head while falling down the stairs. No, that's not how it happens. There was months, if not years of abuse leading up to that. And that, that has to be contextualized too. Yeah, I think a lot of that perception comes from like the movies and TV. Sure. Right? Where the, <clears throat> something is condensed. Although that is changing. I don't know if you've seen uh, Made, uh, Adam. I've started watching it and it it <laughs> does a very good job at least in the in the beginning. I'm not too far in yet mm. of uh addressing this exact thing. And and to their credit too, you've mentioned the CBC because this um they've this investigation that they've done has been extensive on uh, intimate partner homicide. Mm-hmm. And again, speaking to going back to 1989, this is the kind of thing that we see now that we wouldn't have then. And CBC obviously has the resources to do this kind of uh, deep dive research. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, and if, yeah, in a place like Renfrew that is small, um, it, it it's, it's kind of a perfect example of the, and there is a there is a checklist you could tick all, off all the boxes where it's like there are there are signs and sometimes people don't see the signs a lot of people don't see the signs a lot of times people ignore the signs of mm-hmm. if somebody um, that they that this is happening to someone that they know or in fact that the person uh, that it's happening to may not re- may not even realize what is happening to them as well right it's mm-hmm. kind of like you make excuses and, and whatnot, and that's uh, to, of no fault of their own, obviously. But yeah, it's it's not as an instantaneous thing, which is, which seems to be, um, or at least can be the perception, and at least that is um, changing now, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, of course, the other things that need to 
uh, change or should change too. And so looking back to September, um, and this this all plays into it as well and ties in the university along the lines of the polytechnique. Um, I was surprised in September uh, the amount of misogyny and misogynistic things that surfaced, particularly at, I don't want to name too many names, but it did happen in several places. Queens was one mm -hmm. um, where that whole painting of the bed sheet with, with stuff that you, you know, just shouldn't just blatant misogynistic stuff um, took me back to 30 years ago when I was a student <laughs> and visiting somebody at Queens university and people there, men were doing the same thing. And it's mm -hmm. like, what is it that within this arc of time that we haven't realized that this needs to change? You know, it's like, I can't believe I'm seeing this again after all this time and everything that has gone on. What is it that prompts a young person, male generally, mm. uh, to do something like that? And it was Western had a walkout, didn't they? Western had a, a massive yeah. walkout yeah. Uh, in September uh, to protest you know similar kinds of things because that, that one of the uh, drink spiking incidents was mm -hmm. there and all of that all of that plays into this the you know the 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 bigger picture where it's like that that it seems like a minor thing but it's it's the lead-in is there the 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 intent the same intent is there and it's like i didn't even did they have did they ever get anybody for that did they ever catch i don't think so no, right? no. it's it's gone on it's not hasn't gone unaddressed but there's been no uh I guess there's been an investigation, but there's been no uh, conviction or nobody's been, you know, brought to, brought to bear, brought to justice on that. And it's like, no, there were no charges. So wh where does that, that go? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, and I mean, playing into this too, it's not Canadian, but I mean, it's, it's kind of relevant. Uh, the Gabby Petito murder. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, where, I mean, there are several different levels. I mean, there is what happened to her, like very famously, they were, her and her boyfriend were stopped by the police at one point. Um, and, uh, it seemed that the cop was, uh, in question, d didn't seem to get the gravity of the situation. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. Um, but you know, there was a definite feeling in that situation that if the cop had been a little bit on the ball, a little bit more on the ball, he might've spotted that this young woman was in real danger. And then the flip side of that is too, is that think of the hours and hours and hours of, particularly cable news coverage over Gabby Petito mm -hmm. um, being found in rural Wyoming when in the same area, like hundreds of indigenous women have gone missing and are, were likely murdered. Some never to be found something to be missing over 30 days and continue to be missing. And uh, just the whole missing white girl syndrome. And I, we don't have time to go into it, but no. the, the government of Wyoming did a pretty good, uh, almost kind of like missing and murdered indigenous women in uh, inquiry of their own. And it, it's, it's pretty startling how similar the situation is in Wyoming by itself as, as the study came out here in Canada. So oh, yeah. it's um, well, that's the thing we hear about the high profile, right? The yeah. Ghislaine Maxwell's and the Nygaard's and the um, Epstein, et cetera. Mm. Um, and, and rightly so. Mm -hmm. But yet there's, there's still this whole, you know, there's, you know, workplace violence and so, so many things address it. It's almost as if, and, and what's going on in the Canadian military as well, which is somewhat mm -hmm. high profile is that, you know, mm -hmm. we don't know 
the names of these people, but you know, when the head of HR of the military is being charged with, with sexual assault, I mean, this it's rife. It's right. Yeah. In all quarters. Yes, it is. Uh, unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there though. And uh, talk about more human rights abuses. Oh um, yeah. So yeah, uh, the white house announced the other day that they are going to be endorsing a diplomatic boycott of China. Uh, for the 2022 Winter Olympics, this essentially means that they're not going to send any of their sort of official government people to um, as, as kind of like support staff for the games. There's, you know, uh, I mean, this kind of sounds penny ante, but I'm George W. Bush, uh, when he was president last year, he was president. He did go to the Summer Olympics in China. Uh, his father, also President Bush, was the um honorary team captain that year so you know they had two they had two president bushes uh for the price of one and uh the uk announced on wednesday that it would also be doing an uh diplomatic boycott australia did the same and then late afternoon justin trudeau came out and said and i quote we are extremely concerned by the repeated human rights violations by the chinese government not a few months ago they weren't but that is why we are announcing today that we will not be sending any diplomatic representation to the beijing olympic paralympic games this winter so yeah justin way to to purely symbolic action again no um i mean it, 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 given given the chinese government's response to biden making the first move i mean this this does this does hurt them to an extent though they are loath to admit it yeah there there's some talking points coming out of the uh, what do they call the uh the uh well they were talking about the the conference that's coming up in the next couple of days. And I think that's what's happening mm-hmm. is that all the countries are kind of hopping oh, yeah. on before the dem- this the, the, uh, democ- the democracy conference. Yeah. The summit for democracy in Washington, which starts on Thursday of this yeah, week. Yeah, there's yeah. a couple of days. I think there's a mini G seven in there somewhere as well. I believe so. Maybe mm-hmm. they're trying to keep that hush hush. So there's no, there's no protesters expressing themselves freely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The UK was weird. It was born. Well, Boris Johnson's feeling his own heat for other reasons these days, but he said that the boycott was informal. It's like there's if you're not sending your your diplomats, then it's not informal. It's actually very formal. Mm-hmm. But you know, Boris is lots of jibber jabber there, but he's hopping on board as well, right? So um and maybe this is to kind of ease China into it because I I'm not sure what it, what else will come out of this summit over the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um but the yeah, the the Chinese government have been making you know some points about this the conference about the did i say it already the gab fest to praise u.s style democracy is what china <laughs> daily called it so and then china's coming out and saying well we're democratic too it's just a different form of democracy so it's it's tit for tat stuff mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um but yeah this again this plays into the whole they'll always insist that the olympics aren't political Mm-hmm. And the IOC says that they're staying out of it. And oh, no, we know it's it's all about the athletes. It's I mean, when is it? They weren't staying out of it today, but I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Which is when we <laughs> talk about the Olympics. You never, ever talk of when we talk about it, we always talk about the political angle because there's lots. But as I always say, and I think I've said it on this show before, it's like, OK, name name some gold medal winners from the last time. You won't mm-hmm. be able to but you'll be able to talk about the controversy. People still remember the 1980 boycott, mm-hmm. which was a full on boycott. 
mm-hmm. uh, of the Soviet Union. Wow, that's going back. I vaguely remember that going on. I don't <laughs> didn't know the reasons why. Um, but yeah, so Afghanistan. Oh yeah, no, I know, I know now. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> in 1980, like, if listeners like, don't know, we have to presume yeah. being a university radio station that some of our younger listeners may. Oh, of course. Not, may you only know, back in 1980. Oh. Yeah. And then yeah. in <laughs> the 84 Olympics, which were boycotted, and you know, so Soviet Union wins 1980, and anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about China at this point and their relations with China, which are which are not good currently. But mm-hmm. so you're going to mention something about the. IOC. What, well, what did they come up with? Well, it's it's about Peng Shui, who's the the China uh-huh. tennis star who uh, mysteriously vanished from sight, uh, save for carefully choreographed uh, media events, um, where the Chinese government is control essentially controlling the media. She comes out and accuses a high level member of the Communist Party of raping her. Um, kind of going back to topic number one here, but the yep. the party. Um, seemed to have <laughs> black bagged her um, and the IOC came out on Wednesday and was like, well, you know, we, you know, we believe China, China. Yeah. I'm sure she's fine. Um, that's not the official statement or word for word, but I mean, that's, that's kind of the, <laughs> the mealy paraphrase mouth. of the century. Probably. I mean, it, I mean, it's okay. the me- yeah, it's the yeah. mealy mouth, you know, nothing to see here. IOC, which I mean, is also bl- has been a blatantly corrupt organization in the past. Um, and I also point out, and it took me a minute to, to remember this, the 2022 Olympics were the ones nobody wanted. These mm-hmm. were the ones that it came down between China and Almedia, uh, Kazakhstan. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the third one was Oslo. And the Norwegian parliament was like, we're not paying for those Olympic games. Forget about it. <laughs> and so Os- like, usual. <laughs> Oslo had to pull out because they had no government backing for the games. Um, and so this was like the like the pity me games. Nobody wanted them. It was between China and Kazakhstan. And, you know, where you where are you going to go to make money? You're not going to go to make money in Kazakhstan. Sorry, Kazakhstan. But yeah, it, it just it was the, the, the Olympics. Nobody wanted uh, you know, now it's in the shadow of, you know, what's happened in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. what's going on with the Uyghurs, um, you know, Xi Jinping declaring himself president for life and probably the afterlife too. Like, don't be surprised one day when you hear about Xi Jinping taking China with him when he goes, but <laughs> the, uh, North Korea stone. Yeah. No, yeah. North Korea. I mean, essentially, yeah, it, it's just, there's, and then all of this, of course, is in the backdrop of like the current political climate to the fact that China, uh, whether it was purposeful, accidental or natural, was the source of the COVID-19 virus. You have a political culture on the right in the U.S. and Canada that have a political have a, like a vested political interest in making China the boogeyman, not necessarily trying to open up China, but using China as a big bad that they can pin all their all their blame on and i mean it's a mess dealing with china is a mess right now Mm -hmm. and i mean for good reason (laughs) but but it's it's not something that can be solved by the olympics that's for sure and it's not something that can be solved by the nakedly corrupt organization like the ioc either who are just in it for the money because you really want to hurt um china where it counts uh i mean again no 
understanding that you know you don't want to publish punish the athletes or just something trudeau and both trudeau and biden have said but um you really wanted to punish china on this you wouldn't send the tv crews to cover the olympics you would send a couple of guys with notepads but because yeah, there's that's i mean you, you have network cbc spending. has paid too much for the rights yeah, though yeah, so we that's yeah. that's i mean that's the long and short of it right yeah. it's that's yeah. not what it's completely about but that is a lot of what it's about our um you're talking about comments on the right i mean our relationship or sorry our canada's relationship mm-hmm. with china is <laughs> changing up with it with the news that dominic barton is stepping down our uh, diplomat to china speaking yep. of diplomats yep and uh aaron o'toole one of the things that he said was canada should probably have a what he called a proper diplomat with china rather than somebody who's a business oriented person now it's kind of ironic in that is the conservatives <laughs> would normally i think appoint a business oriented person who has political ties to that kind of job mm-hmm. so dominic Barton would seem like an ideal who was he with mckinsey you know the consultants that consult to the world mm-hmm. a corporate wheel right so mm-hmm. that's it's not false but for o'toole to say well we need a proper diplomat like what is a proper diplomat right mm-hmm. so i was thinking well who would they i don't know anime paul who do they get to go <laughs> i don't know but that's he's done on the 31st and while all of this is playing out, we're not actually sure, or has it been announced? I don't think so. Who the next no has been uh, announced, yeah. diplomat will be, but whoever it is, they won't be going uh, to the Olympics. But that's all of that is in the shadow of, you know, he was he did the main stick handling, I guess, part of it to get uh, the Michaels out with the assistance with large assistance from the U.S. But Dominic Barton was the one that greeted them at the airport, right? I think that's mm-hmm. I'm picturing that in my mind as to as mm-hmm. to what happened. So. Um, it sounded like he made it sound like he was hanging around until that was done, but everybody has their reasons and we'll, we may find out later if there are more reasons, but also something that's, it's on the burner too, is the decision about Huawei's participation in 5g. Mm-hmm. So all this plays into it as well, because you know, 5g is going to be the future. We'll probably be watching our future Olympics on 5g phones and mm. uh, <laughs> who knows what kind of signal Canada is going to send to uh, China. Like, is it going to be, well, we, you know, we, we don't want you involved in this. China has threatened China's like, well, you know, we, you know, it sounds like Canada isn't, as they said, conducive to business. Mm. So are they hinting it? It may disrupt more than just the 5g network. If Canada doesn't at least allow Huawei to be involved or to bid on the network. So there's all of this is simmering on top well, of everything else. Well, I think they'd be cutting off their nose despite their faces. They'd just, like pull out entirely because I think Yahweh has outside of China has the biggest footprint here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's kind of more at stake than Olympic stuff and who does, who is and is not going to the Olympics. And I do wonder um, if this is going to test that water a bit. It's like, if we stand up to China on this, does it make it a bit easier to stand up, up to China on the bigger stuff? Um, I, I don't credit the liberal government with that kind of strategic thinking, unfortunately, but, um, (laughs) I mean, it could be, I mean, you know, if you have considering it, we have the backing of the UK and the U S and likely other world powers are going to come out and do the same thing. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to see. It's, I mean, you, you can't handle China lightly, unfortunately. It's you can't just like, and I mean, the conservatives, 
you know, considering how hard Stephen Harper worked to ingratiate Canada to China, it's a bit rich coming from them now. But uh, we'll have to leave that there. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and talk about some local stuff with uh, Dominique from Ward 6. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week? Royal Cat Records, twenty-one MacDonnell in the downtown, and that was actually Angela Merkel's pick <laughs> for her departure from her job as chancellor. Mm-hmm. It seems you get to play yourself out and you pick some music. Uh, she picked a couple of classical pieces, and that one by Nina Hagen. Uh, who is <laughs> as about as punk rock as they came back in the day. I'm not sure if we got the 1970s or the 80s version of that song. It's called Du hast den Farb Film Vergessen, which means I forgot the color film. It was a massive hit in East Germany and other East Bloc countries. And there's a fantastic uh, clip of Nena Hagen and Angela Merkel arguing about legalization of drugs in the early nineties on YouTube, Google it. Cause it's something else. So she, uh, you know, <laughs> Angela Merkel obviously didn't hold it against her, but yeah. Mm. What an interesting musician and an interesting woman too. So it sounds like Angela Merkel is going to kick back, read some books and see what happens. She said, so <laughs> that's the song that played her out at the Grosse Zaffenstreich. Unbelievable. Eh? Well, she, <laughs> she was the leader of the free world for four years. So it's, pretty much uh, she, she does. I think it. we'll see more of her. More than we'll see of Nina Hagen, probably. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Anyway, um, we're going to hear some more about the 2022-2023 budget. And uh, we did an interview with Dominique O'Rourke to talk about that. Uh, she, of course, famously voted against the budget. She was one of five counselors that did. So we'll ask her about that. We'll ask her about the difficulties in negotiating this year's budget and how those difficulties get even more difficult in the years to come. So we will hit play on that interview starting right now. Wow. So Dominique O'Rourke, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. I'm going to phrase this the way somebody who might have emailed you after the budget meeting might have phrased it. Uh, you know, 4.21%. You know, what went wrong? <laughs> well, let me say this. So there's a... Th- there's a few ways to answer that. First of all, you know, I voted against the budget, mm-hmm. not necessarily because of the number, but because of the projections and because of the process. And we needed to prioritize that night. I didn't feel a huge willingness to do that. So yeah, 4.21 is a big number. And so is 5.17 for next year. So I'm not sure people realize that we accepted a two-year budget and that's the, that's the projection. So we knew it was going to be high because there were some things that in the depth of COVID, 
we said, let's, you know, let's shift that 0.5, let's shift that small amount to next year because people were really struggling. So we knew that. We knew that we had the commitment to the, the hospital. That's $700,000 a year, $750,000. That ended up being funded through reserves. The city's portion of that increase is actually not that significant, right? Relatively speaking. So I have it here somewhere that the the increase on the base operating budget is a 2.68. So part of that is the infrastructure funding that we know we we have to do. Uh, A lot of that is we're coming into some major capital uh, investments with the South End Rec Center and also uh, Baker Street. So some of those things are kind of not not negotiable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we obviously have the police budget, the Elliot, the you know the library, the conservation authority, and they came in at a one point five three. So none of them on their own are egregious. It's mm-hmm. a when you add them up, they add <laughs> up. So you know people. People, I'm not sure, understand that every time an agenda item comes to council, other than planning meetings, it's a budget conversation, right? So when we talk about the Trails Master Plan, we're told this is the amount over 10 years. I think it's $30 million over 10 years. These are the priorities, et cetera. And everyone delegates for more and better and faster, right? And we support the the staff recommendation because they've done the work that's their best recommendation and that's the information we have in that moment right and then transit transit was 1.26 right of that of that Mm 4.21 so so we say of course we know we need to do this and of course we accept it because what's the option we say flat out no so nobody wants that but over the course of the year, we're putting all these big items in our basket. And the budget is our moment at the cash where you say some of this stuff's got to come out mm-hmm. or I need to buy a smaller format or right. But that's the decision moment. And I think we had opportunities to prioritize. I also voted against the budget, um, not necessarily for this budget, but in anticipation of the next budget in 2024, which is also going to be very difficult. We know there are a number of master plans coming at us. Those requests to council aren't going to stop. So for me, I totally understand why that 4.21 is there. Had I seen more movement in terms of trying to accommodate transit, had I seen more flexibility to say, we really do need to prioritize, which means letting go of other things. Maybe I could have supported the 4.21, but I, I struggled. Um, I asked, I don't know, I asked <laughs> 15 topics. I asked 15 questions on the budget board. I looked at very specific programs to say, hmm, do we need a building where we're going to wash and repair carts? And they say, yes, counselor, absolutely. And I don't want to pull on the wrong thread. We're not mm-hmm. in the operations, right? They said, don't pick on a specific thing. My other example is $1.4 million for digital signs for transit, right? For, for bus stops. I'd rather spend $1.4 million on an electric bus to get people on that bus and reduce our emissions than the digital strategy. Mm. And even when the response on the board budget was, or the budget board <laughs> around, <laughs> um, was, 
yeah, well, we need to, we need to hire the consultant and they'll do a, a needs analysis, et cetera. It's not urgent, but it's essential. It can't all be essential. Mm-hmm. If everything is a priority, nothing's a priority. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I didn't want to pick it little things. So I, I did what staff recommended. I went to a governance level and I said, can we just reduce, right? The, um, uh, Trails Master Plan, Open Space, Urban Forestry. Could we just reduce that by $70,000 a year just to make a little space for transit? Didn't pass. Active Transportation Network. We know from staff, lots of opportunities for grants or reprioritization. If we say we're laser focused on climate, then we need to focus on trails that are in the city and that boost active transportation, not necessarily recreation, right? That would have been a reduction of one hundred forty-five thousand dollars a year, no support. So, that's what I was trying to do on budget day was to make some space. Mm-hmm. Is this not a bit of the the snake eating its tail, though? Because you know, for years there's been, I mean, there's a reason why all these master plans and all these capital projects are coming due now. It's because we'll do it next year. We'll do it next year. We'll do it next year, and then now counts. I mean, for your your coming to the end of your first term the majority of your colleagues have been there for almost 12 years so they have that institutional memory of remember back in 19 dickety whenever when when we started kicking this can um it, it seems like there's a bit of fomo too um we you know counselors have had priorities for literally a decade and you know i i guess how do we, how is that, you know, sort of going to be manageable or any more manageable, I guess, in the years to come with, because I, I think I'm, I remember watching a meeting like, well, this kind of sounds reasonable. It's not like I look at my window and it's like, yeah, we still have trees. It's not like the urban forest master plan is, is you know, we have trees, we can maybe space out the need for trees. But I mean, if you're someone who came into council in 19, not 19, but like 2006, and one of your priorities was the urban forest master plan, you know, it's a bit easy. It's a bit hard to sort of let that go. Right. So I'm a integrative thinker. It's yeah. both. And it's, it's, it's not let's stop on the trees or on any of these policies. Mm-hmm. It is politics is the art of the possible. So first of all, was that an individual person's priority or is it a council priority? Right. Where does that rank in the strap plan? I kept saying over and over, when we had that first meeting, never mind the sort of pretty up version of the strap plan. Mm-hmm. When we met the first time and said, okay, what are the sort of stated priorities? We did a round table and a bunch of exercises. It was transit, number one. And if you look at the citizen satisfaction, transit is way at the bottom. So we were aligned there. Council, the city, residents are saying, yeah, we really need to do something on transit. And it hits two important um, features, right? Transportation master plan, climate change. That's, we're, that's a priority. The other one is climate change, obviously, which I think has probably increased in terms of importance for the population since 2019, which is the last citizen satisfaction. We also said it's time for us to deliver on the South End Rec Center mm-hmm. because, it, you know, you can't, can't do everything in terms of improving, improving governance because people look around and they say, I don't see where my tax dollars are going because mm. a lot of that infrastructure is underground, Right. Mm-hmm. We have to finally finish on some of these projects. And that's the South End Rec Center. 
and it's Baker Street. And I say Baker Street because A, we absolutely do need a new central library. We know the the elevator broke down last week, I think. And so people mm-hmm. can't get to the accessible washroom. It's definitely end of life. When the finance people tell you, no, it's really at end of life and you need to replace it. You know, that's true, right? It's, <laughs> it's not empire building or anything like that. Yeah. And Baker is about the parking, the civic spaces and bringing 300 housing units online. So it's that whole piece, including 12% of affordable housing. So we said that first night of the strat plan, um, that city building piece, transit, the environment, and also affordability. So in my mind, the other things can happen. They just can't mm-hmm. happen at the same pace, right? An example I'll give you is um, with respect to heritage, right? So there was $486,000, I think, in this budget to hire a permanent heritage planner at $116,000. No problem with that. We absolutely do have to move faster on some of this stuff. But there's an additional 380000 for a temporary staff person, a consultant to move that file forward faster. So, of course, heritage is important. But could that $380,000 um, have gone somewhere else so we can move the file forward? Maybe not as fast as people wanted, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I was looking for. No, and I get that. I, I just, your kind of logical approach bristles against, I think, the way a lot of your, your colleagues are, have, are thinking, especially the ones who have been there for uh, a long time, who've been waiting, like whether it's their pet project or whether it is like a city priority that has been developed through these master plans. And I think heritage is a perfect example because on Monday, there is uh, another heritage designation come forward, another old farmhouse on York Road uh, that, you know, is like from the sound of the written report, it's it's like almost gone. It's like you're going to sneeze on it too hard and it's going to fall apart. <laughs> and, it, you know, when you kind of see that, it you know, it's logically speaking, logically, it's hard to make the argument. It's like, well, how can we not make heritage a priority right now? Because this is like the third or fourth thing that's come forward on the heritage file this year that needs action right now. So I think that we have done a lot of things to advance the heritage file in the last year. Right. Um, And of course, that particular property, I believe, has had a number of uh, property standards enforcement communications. Uh, So that's a different case. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what what did we do? We we were going to hire a a new uh, heritage planner. We designated, you know, we went to the different designation for the OR lands. There was a preliminary designation for uh, Ward West. There has been progress on the heritage file. Right. There've been a lot of wins on heritage and some bumps in the road for sure. I don't know necessarily that moving all those properties from the cooling list to the um, municipal register. um, Sure. It's important work, but so was a lot of the service rationalization stuff that got voted down. Right. So, so here's an example last year, $600,000 fortunately covered by the province $600,000 and a ton of staff time went into the KPMG service rationalization review to look at our operations, because if we can shrink the operations budget, then that percentage increase annually is a smaller amount, right? So we have to go back and look at how do we become more efficient? How do we shrink that operations budget? So KPMG gives us this 11 or 17 point plan and staff say we want to transfer $500,000 into the reserve to start tackling those 
priorities on service rationalization and it got voted down. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that that was approved. And so the money did not go into that reserve. Right. Right. So here's something that could actually help us be more efficient and make space for those other projects. And it didn't pass. But I think that's also an example of, of where the, the friction is, right? Because um, no disrespect to any of your colleagues, but uh, some of them are not tech savvy. Um, some of them are not, you know, uh, I guess, you know, sort of the, the vanguard of the digital age, uh, as opposed to, you know, someone in our age bracket who's grown up with computers, you know, it, it feels like there's kind of a, a generational divide on this. It's, you know, some counselors see an old house and say, we need to save that immediately. Some counselors say, we need to make it a bit easier to access city services digitally, but that does not come to pass. Even though, I mean, saving saving old house is nice, but making it easier for people to access city services through an app on their phone would help thousands of people. Right. The answer is both. Okay. The answer is both. And that you could change the pace of one, which is what I wanted to do on the heritage file. You can still make progress on another. The beauty of service rationalization and the digital improvements are that they create efficiencies and create more capacity, right? That's why I support that. A, we supported a service rationalization review last year. The work was done. We have a list. And look, when you want to rent a pavilion at Riverside Park for a picnic or something, it's better now, much better. But Mm -hmm. you used to have to phone. They would say, oh, so-and-so with the spreadsheets on lunch. (laughs) And you had to play phone tag with the person to say, is that is is that right? Is that pavilion available? So that's silly. Yeah. Right? We we should get to a place in the city where uh, if somebody contacts the city and says, "I have this issue," that that there's a number, that there's a date stamp, that there's a trail to see who who addressed that. And sometimes it's tricky to know where to go. Mm. But we shouldn't ever hear. My calls weren't, my call wasn't returned. And sometimes, you know, something gets buried in somebody's email or Mm. the person has moved on. And so it's sitting in a voicemail somewhere, but a better digital process would allow a lot of tracking internally. It would allow us to pinpoint, oh, there's a real hotspot here with this issue. We would make better data-driven decisions. Mm -hmm. So, so your, your original question around 4.21, what are you guys thinking? (laughs) Um, I understand the number. Mm-hmm. It's not as, I mean, so it's going to be a shock to people, but it's not as egregious as it seems. Yeah. But I am worried because the staff reports are very clear that more costs are coming online, more projects are not funded, mm-hmm. and they will, we're going to see those price tags in 2025. So that's mm-hmm. 2025. We are 2022 in a yeah. couple of weeks. Every council meeting, somebody's going to come and say, we want to do this and we need that. And the province said, we need to do this and it's going to cost more. And we'll say, yes, 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 yes. And that price tag is going to go up. So we need to be able to, we need to be able to find space. Well, then isn't this also kind of a systemic thing? And I've been talking to some of your colleagues about this, that, you know, the way we fund cities is just... You know, it, it's passe. It's it's you know, talk about antiquated. It, it just isn't working anymore. Isn't that kind of the, one of the core issues? It is a core issue, but it's not the issue that's before us at budget. 
right? When it's before mm-hmm. as a budget, it's like you have user fees, you have property taxes, you have grants, and you have development charges. We've looked at the development charges. In fact, they're coming to, to uh, planning on Monday night. We've looked at the user fees. Um, finance has looked at, you know, debt financing for the large capital project so that it, a generational building should be paid over time. So we know what those levers are. So we mm-hmm. can't then say, we wish, we wish we had a better way to pay for it. The other thing that's terrible about property taxes, it's absolutely not geared to income. Sure. So, you know, you're asking me how people react to the budget. There are people in my ward versus a major misconception that everyone in Ward 6 is affluent. Sure. There are people sitting in Ward 6 who bought a, a house, you know, at a modest price whose income hasn't increased. And now their property values are really high and their property taxes are quite high. So the city's press release says, um, you know, what it works out to for people is for an average assessed value of 389.5, which is an average, pretty low for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So that will be $4,000 of property taxes total, an increase of $153 or about $12 a month a week. First of all, that's a low average mm-hmm. and it's not going to work out to that for a lot of people in my ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and we keep doing it year over year, over year, over year. Right. So yes, your taxes are going to go up because there's inflation and we have to put, you know, uh, fuel in vehicles and our salaries go up and all of those things all true, but it's our job to look closely at where we can contain those costs. Mm-hmm. And to and to say, we wanted to do this one, you know, not this year, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it's not true that it's like a family budget. But the analogy mm-hmm. is, you say we're going, uh, we're going to Disney this year, right? And at one point in the year, a parent loses a job. And you say, okay, we're still going to go, we were going to fly, now we're going to drive. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we were going to go for a week and now we'll go for four days, what, whatever it is. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, we're still going to go, but we're going to pack our own lunches, right? It, we can still get to those desired outcomes, but we have to modify, you know, the, the pace and the scope. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think what I was getting at was it's an election year coming up two elections because we got provincial and I mean, who, who pulls our strings? It's the, the province. So shouldn't, should that like maybe be an election priority is like something that intergovernmental could work on amongst their 101 other priorities that, you know, maybe cities should control more of their destiny. Yeah. I, I would say our intergovernmental team on their own uh, are excellent at advocating for Guelph. And if you saw the, report that they brought to committee of the whole on monday they have something like an 86 percent success rate mm-hmm. for getting grants and those kinds of things when municipalities advocate on a whole through the association of municipalities of ontario through the federation of canadian municipalities uh they have more success there so i wouldn't put that on our you know small but right. staff um <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not sure there's a huge appetite, right? So we have mm-hmm. been, so we're grateful for the um, safe restart funding because that's just been critical. Um, we're, I'm really 
appreciative that the province really was listening in terms of development charges. Cause when the mm. initial round of changes came, we were very concerned. Right. 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 Um, and our treasurer Tara Baker sat on that round table. And so we're actually back in a pretty good spot um, in terms of development charges and those community benefit charges. So, you know, um, do you keep running at that football repeatedly on a massive system change? I think you need to focus your effort. It's the same thing mm. I'm saying about focus your effort on budget mm-hmm. and human resources. It's people, right? Doing these projects. Um, and we need to focus our efforts on intergovernmental. So I think it's going to be a huge provincial election issue because people at the doorstep, <laughs> I mean, people at the doorstep, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. want to see a hospital in this city. That's a provincial issue. They want to see, you know, testing in schools. They want, you know, they want, um, things that they see as being in the provincial realm and not, they're not necessarily tuned into all the intergovernmental stuff as we are. Well, maybe I'm a dreamer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I went into politics because, uh, well, first Arkle road in the South end rec center for sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also, you know, I was looking and there was no strat plan. I didn't see where all those master plans fit into the strategy. And so I was really, in, really keen on governance, public policy, um, and I think people on the doorstep were a lot more concerned, which is fine about cars are speeding, parking, uh, police, right? Because um, there was lots of, you know, uh, there was an increase in crime. Right. So it's, it's people's day to day. So this answers your question in terms of is, is municipal funding a hot issue provincially? That's not going to drive people to the polls at the provincial level. Fair enough. Well, Dominique O'Rourke, uh, thank you so much for all your time today. And uh, I guess best of luck with all budget stuff in the future where you might need it. (laughs) Thanks, Adam. Anytime. Take care. All right. Well, that was Dominique O'Rourke from Ward 6. And uh, that is the end of the 2022-2023 budget. Uh, It's in the can, never to be heard about again. (laughs) <laughs> for now <laughs> well they they will have to after next year's election they will have to um reopen to reconfirm the 2023 budget because that's how that works with multi-year budgeting now so yeah i guess well i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure budgets will come up some point during the next year because there's an oh, election yeah. and everything so first thing if you're out of the gate it'll be well so uh uh-huh. all right we will wrap it up here thanks for listening stay connected to our show at opensourcesguelph.com we're also on facebook at open sources newswire and we're on twitter at os underscore guelph you can listen to the show again by downloading it from our website every monday at the guelph politicast channel on podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify i can be found personally at twitter and instagram at adam a donaldson and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca and i'm scotty hertz on facebook scotty hertz on twitter and for all things cfru beyond listening here at 93.3 check out cfru.ca yes indeed and check out dj sounds good to me here at the top of the hour on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio we will be back of course next thursday at 5 p.m for another stupendous edition of Open Sources Guelph, and we will see you then.